This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. To help us to move in that direction. And I don't know about you, but I feel really encouraged when an 8-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 14-year-old, with all the pressure in the world right now, saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. If you came feeling a bit discouraged today, I I am just praying that God's going to breathe encouragement into your spirit. You know, this is why Paul, when he was writing to the church, said, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Okay, now I know that that verse got used wildly in the last couple years, but this is what it's talking about, that we would actually, like, not be discouraged, because life, how many of you had a week this week? Yeah. Also, you looked out at the snow yesterday. And the only people that were happy was anybody under the age of 16. (laughs) My kids woke up yesterday morning, and you'd think it was Christmas morning. We were blasting the Christmas carols by 8.30 in the morning. (laughs) I heard Frosty the Snowman at least six times yesterday. Yeah. But because, like, we live, and because we do have weeks that are difficult, we need to gather together to encourage each other. We actually, and this is why, by the way, if you're sitting here today, you are important. Your voice is important. Your life is important. You matter. And you matter to God, yes, but that's like a generality, right? Like, have you ever had somebody say, you know when you go to like the Starbucks and they tra- they, they're trained, if you're a Starbucks employee here, man, your training's great. Because I go to the door and they always want to like have a little discussion with you. Have you ever had this? But you, I mean... It's not like they don't mean it, but like when they're telling you to have a great day. I mean, have a good day. Okay, it's nice. So I'm not talking about God loves you or you are important in a general kind of way. I'm saying in a very specific way, your person, the gifts that you have, the skills that you have, the voice you have, the person, your personality, who you actually are is necessary. And so uh, maybe you've come feeling discouraged. I I just want you to know that. Okay, we're going to get into the message this morning. So the more I live, the more I'm convinced that every single person wants to make their life count. Nobody just wants to live a life. Like, nobody was born and said, said, you know what, I'm just going to try to put in time for the next 70 to 80 years or 90 as we are all living longer now. Everybody wants their lives to count, and I've had the privilege of, wa- of walking with people from all kinds of life. I've worked with people on the other side of the globe. I've worked with people in the margins of society. I've worked here now in Calgary for almost seven years, and what I'm convinced about, doesn't matter what country I'm in, doesn't matter what kind of people I'm talking to, everybody gets up in the morning and says, I, I want my life to count for something. This is an, an innate human desire in all of us. And um, this is what God designed us for. I remember being a teenager, and I had met this new kind of friend, and we had gone on a youth retreat like our youth went on last week. And um, by the way, just as a disclaimer, man, like God is moving amongst our teenagers. If you don't have teenagers, um, you should go and find a teenager that goes to this church because God's, don't find them and kidnap them. Just, (laughs) you don't want to do that (laughs) anyways if you don't have a teenager. But God is moving amongst our teenagers. Anyways, I'm a teenager, and I go on this youth retreat. And um, I had, I, God had moved, and we, my friend and I had lunch together afterwards. And she was saying, 
I, you know, I don't know you very well, but I really want to share something with you. Okay, this is like really, like, I, she's getting ready to disclose something major, okay? You know when you're going to disclose something to somebody and you set the groundwork, like, please don't tell anybody. I know people in the CIA. I don't, I, like, that's what it sounded like to me. And um, she leans over the table, and I can remember exactly what I was eating. It was a salad and a turkey sandwich. And not that that matters to the story at all. But anyway, she leans over the table, and she says to me, after this weekend... I feel like I was created for something really significant. Like, I feel like I was put here for some special reason. Like she said, I don't mean to, to brag, but I feel like I'm special. Okay, so now I'm 16, and my mind is blown because I say, this is so weird, because I feel the same way. We were meant to be friends, you and I. Now, subsequent to this, I have talked to this friend about it. We've laughed our heads off about it because at some level, this is how we all feel. We all feel like there's something, I mean, when you're having a bad day, it's easy to put this apart. So like if you've lived a bit of life and this has been a terrible, no good week, maybe you're not resonating with this. But when you're having one of those good weeks where everything goes right, yeah, I was put here to do something awesome. And this is, um, this is how God made us. We all need to be acknowledged to be seen. And he created you to want to make a difference. The longing you have inside of you, the longing you have that says, I, I want to do something significant, that longing is from God. It's the way he designed us. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. Last week, we talked about the man in Mark chapter 10 who came to Jesus and said, Teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? And I was thinking about this question that this man asked Jesus. How can I inherit eternal life? I was thinking, what an odd question to ask somebody. Like, the one thing I want to ask you is, how can I live forever? <gasps> oh, I was having a particular week, and I was thinking, this is a terrible question to ask. How can I live forever? But, but what was the guy really saying to Jesus? Now, if you're beyond, let's just go with 40, because it's the middle. If you're beyond 40, all the beyond 40s, look at me for a second. Doesn't it seem like three minutes ago you were like 19? Oh, so weird. It's so People used to say this to me, and I'd be so angry when older people would say, the days are long, but the years are short. Did I say the saying right? Yeah, the days are long, the years are short. What does that even mean? But now that I'm squarely in middle-aged, I can understand. Now listen, if you're 19 here right now, I'm sorry to break the news to you. Five minutes from now, you're going to have to get a cane because you're going to be old. <laughs> and it's really going to feel like five minutes ago. Like, uh, Dave and I were watching some show just before we went to bed. It was a cooking show. And they were saying, oh, this restaurant is so old. It's like 22 years old. It started in 2000 and something. <laughs> and I was like, we were like what? that restaurant just opened five minutes ago. What is going on? But this idea that this man came to Jesus and said, how can I live? How can I... How can I inherit eternal life? What he's really trying to say is like, how do I, life, how do I make my life count? How does it get bigger? How does it, because you've got all these dreams in your head. Did any of you have dreams in your head when you were 16 and they still haven't come to pass and you think if I only had a little bit more time, like and by a little bit more time, I mean like 100 more years or maybe 500, I could, I could get to making my bed every day. And Jesus recognizes this in the question 
He recognizes what the man, what's really great about Jesus is that he hears our questions but recognizes what we're really asking. Like some of us, we're asking weird questions right now and Jesus uh, understands what you're really saying. That's what's great about our God. And he says, so what you have to do, how do I inherit eternal life? And, and he answers, go and sell everything you have. Now theologically, this is problematic for many of us who have grown up in an evangelical church because Jesus didn't say at this moment, believe in me, confess, what? What's going on here? This is like a theological mind bender, right? He says, go and sell everything you have. It's because the man is actually asking, how do I make my life count? How do, how do I get some extra time to actually do something? And Jesus answers him quite in a straight manner. This isn't the only time that Jesus makes um, talks like this. So this morning, I, I want to do something a little bit different than we normally, normally we'll take one scripture and break it all apart and talk about it. I want to read a bunch of scriptures. My, my prayer today is that we'd actually hear the words of Jesus with new ears. We'd see what he was saying with new eyes. And that it would profoundly impact the way we live because all of us want to make our lives count. And Jesus, one of his great, one of his great uh, things to do on earth was to show us how to live, how to make our lives count, how to make every day count. Okay, so let's read a few. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 25, 37 to 40 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Luke 3, 10 to 11 says, The crowd said, What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. This is not Jesus' words, but it's John's words, and it's in the gospel. Luke chapter 6, 35 to 36, But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting you to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's such a good verse particularly when we're kind and we're, when we're unkind and ungrateful. <laughs> be merciful just as your father is merciful. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke chapter 12, 33 to 34, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. John 15, 12 to 13 says, My command is this, Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down, his, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Okay, so these are just a smattering of verses that Jesus talked about. And in these verses, he's telling us, how do we actually make our life count? And I want to make just a few observations about these verses, and then we're going to respond. The, the way, the first way that we make our life count, we've got to connect ourselves to God. So the newsflash is this, none of us are that great. <laughs> We're all kind of a wreck, naturally. We're natural wrecks, it's okay. And I was thinking about this this week, about like how I could explain this in a metaphor, and I was thinking about, well, it was warm out, like summer three days ago, remember that? And um, there were still ants around, 
And I, you know when you get an infestation of ants in your house? I'm sorry to have this picture. But like, do you ever look down at the ants and go, wow, that, that ant there, that's a huge ant, so big, it probably could, probably could change the world. And that ant there is so little and minuscule. We'll just let it live. It's just, it can't do it. No, you don't think that. You just think they're all small little ants. Like nobody is like making a documentary about the one large ant that took over the world. Unless it's like a weird superhero movie that is not true. <sighs> you know what's weird in our comparison culture though? We look at the person. I know some of you got up this morning. The first thing you did was go to that terrible social media of Instagram. I know because I was there as well this morning. <laughs> oh, we look and we scroll and we think, oh, that person's got way more on the ball than I do. They can make a difference for God. And that person. But, but essentially, theologically, we're, we're all just ants. And we're all small. Because somebody has like a gift that you want or has something a little bit particular, the thing that makes us powerful is not us in ourselves at all. It's because we're connected to God. So when you get connected to God, it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter how big or small you were. It doesn't matter how you started out. You're now connected to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's like as if God has reached down and made a, an ant his friend. You're not safe or good or able to do anything because you're an ant. You're able to do something with your life because God reached down and grabbed you. And anything that God does now is through your own strength. Listen, the number one thing we got to do if we're going to make any of this, and this is all, all throughout these scriptures, Jesus is reminding us of this. The point is, is that we would be connected to God. Second thing um, these scriptures really remind us is that we've got to make our life more than about ourselves. Now, I know none of us, none of us would say, you know what, my life, my life is really just all about myself. I only care about myself. I only like myself. Uh, nobody, nobody admits that. The question becomes, though, what percentage of our life, like, so I want you just to think about your day today. Think about, project it. What percentage of your life is more than about you? It's on Monday when you get up. Or more than your immediate nuclear family. We're dealing in the 21st century with the idolization of the nuclear family. And this is why we go into our garages and we don't see anybody. This is why we ruminate about all of our things. I'm not saying, listen, I, I, we, we must become people who, if you have a nuclear family, you are like, you care about your family. But, but we actually have to be, we have to care more, we also have to care about people who are outside of our immediate sphere. Growing up, um, I think the one thing I remember is that my family would always have people around the table, wild people around the table. <laughs> Almost every night we would have dinner and then somebody would call my dad, and this is when people actually made phone calls a, a very, very long time ago. I am from the 1900s. Uh, with the long, remember the long cord? If you had a long cord, you were living in prosperity. We had the long cord, and my dad would take calls from people who would play their flute to him, let their budgies sing to him. If this sounds strange, it's because it was. 
and they would interrupt our dinners all the time. And as we grew up around Thanksgiving, people would come with butter belts on. Somebody came with a butter belt on. That was a really good, you know, it was wild. But I learned something about what it means to invite other people into our world. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus, according to the scriptures that Jesus was talking about here, Jesus didn't say that the way that people will know that you're mine is like if you raise your hands really high in church on Sunday. Now, if you want to raise your hands because we're an embodied faith, yes, do that. But no, we're gonna, people are going to know we're Christians because we've embodied the gospel. Because we actually live for more than ourselves. And I know the thing is, the tendency is for all of us when we are thinking about this, we think, okay, well, like this is just a season I've said this before, it's a season, a very difficult season right now, I'm in a diff- and you might be in a difficult season. The problem is if we wait with if and then, then never comes. So maybe you're in a bad spot today, I want to encourage you to lean, if you want to make your life count, make it more than just about yourself. Figure out, the third way is to figure out how to orient your life around generosity. This has nothing to do with the amount we have. But by the way, if you live in Calgary, you are living amongst and within the richest 1% of people in the world. And that's hard to say. That's, that's hard to say. I, I didn't really even want to say it because like, I, I drove, while I was writing this, I had driven by the gas station. You know when you're like definitely going to Costco, like you don't mind waiting. I will wait for 45 minutes in the Costco lineup to get 10 cents off gas. Yes, I've seen some of you there. <laughs> This is difficult to say, but even in times of inflation, this is, I, I do actually think this is the enemy's trick to say, well, just wait. Just wait a little bit to be, you're in university and you're eating ramen noodles full time. I understand. But what if we said, what if we, what if we talk, thought about it differently? What if we thought, how do I orient my life around generosity? What if the default setting on our life became generosity? What if, our, what if our communities were known, first of all, for being people who were, j- this is what Jesus called us to in all these scriptures, <laughs> the default setting to be generosity. So it's easy to amen that, because of course we want to belong to something that's really, gen- like, like who doesn't want to belong to a church? I want to be part of a selfish church, that's, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> All of us want to be part of a community that's like, yes, really generous, but the problem is when that steps on our toes. Because I also want a new Apple Watch. I also want, what does it look like, though? And so when I say this, this is not an indictment on any of us. It's just, I'm asking questions of myself. The scripture is asking questions. By the way, the scripture should always talk to you. I'm reading these scriptures again, and Jesus is talking right back to me. What does it mean to orient my life around generosity? When Dave and I pastored in the inner city for 10 years, I I began to see generosity in a new way. We were always in a financial crisis. Like, by always, I mean always. Like, (laughs) every week I'd always think, is this going to be our last week? Will we be meeting on the street next week? And for 10 years, I'd have to say to the Lord, I I mean, I guess you're going to do it, because Ain't nobody, I'd look out to the congregation on Sunday morning and think, well, we got a few people employed. But they got a lot of bills and a lot of kids. I'd be nervous every single week. Every single week when the offering would come in. This is back in the day when we passed buckets and like people actually had cash. 
Remember those days? And I, I told our staff that oftentimes our, um, our offering would cost us money, and that's because if enough people write insufficient check funds, you go into the negative then, right? <laughs> you don't get enough money. And that's not, you know, that's kind of every pastor's nightmare. How much was the offering? Negative $235. Okay. Okay. Believe in God for a miracle. I remember our youth pastor asking us if he could get pencils one time. I, I am quite feisty, usually on Tuesday mornings. And I, they asked, and I was like, how can, how can you even ask for a pen or a pencil? How can you even ask to buy anything at Staples when you know their offering was negative 235? Anyways, okay, this is an aside. But I learned something about the power of generosity because there would be people that would come say, hey, listen, I know that we're um, feeding all these kids every week. I can pay for that. And I knew they couldn't really pay for that. But somehow God showed up. I, when we orient our life towards generosity, God never leaves us empty. This is a principle of the kingdom of God. When we orient ourselves towards generosity, it's like uh, there's a story in 1 Kings where the widow is pouring all these, this um, oil, and the prophet tells her to do that, and she does. The point is we've got to get enough jars so that we're orienting ourselves towards generosity. A couple of weeks ago, Al and Esther Derry came and spoke here, and I couldn't really brag about them too much, but I will now, and I hope they listen to this podcast because I can feel awkward. <laughs> listen, Al and Esther uh, would never tell you this, but when they were young, nothing. They had nothing. And um, what I do remember as a young person, though, is that they oriented their life towards, they'd just come over with, like, random bags of groceries. They'd give you a 100 bucks. They just oriented their life towards, it's part of the reason we had them in for our spiritual emphasis weeks, because I, I actually think sometimes what's on people's lives gets in people. It's not so much what people say, it's what's on their life. Most generous people I've ever met in my life, and God has never failed to show up for them hundreds and hundreds of times. But we're so worried, we think sometimes that we have to be like, we, we worry, like, what if I'm so generous that I go bankrupt? These are like, I want to tell you, I have done hundreds of funerals. Never once, never once in the hundreds of funerals have I ever had somebody say, wow, they, they were a nice person, but wow, they were way too generous. It's too bad. Like, this is a, a weird fear we have, but it's not a true fear. We, we cannot outgive God. We cannot be out... Now, I'm not just talking... So sometimes when pastors get up here, then you think, okay, now she's going to do the offering appeal and everybody's got to give their money to the church. And yeah, you should be tithing. That is true. And we can... If you have a theological issue with it, we can have a little discussion this week and it'll be great. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about the way you orient yourself with your friends, the way you orient yourself to your actual life. Would people say you're, the way you orient yourself at work, are you generous with your time? And I'm not talking about being run over and having no boundaries, and, but sometimes I think we've gotten so far on the other side, like, I've got a lot of boundaries right now, so I can't give anything, and we become weird. Like, we're the boundary kings and queens. We have created castles for ourselves to live in and called it wisdom. And we've negated generosity. I want to call us to be a generous people. This is what Jesus calls us to. 
someone asks you for a, their coat, give, give, them all, uh, give them everything. Well, that kind of feels honest. Like he didn't give us a matrix to say, now if this person is really trying to bilk you, try and see if you can ask Brene Brown. I'm not dissing Brene Brown. Okay, we have to orient ourselves to generosity. Figure out how we do that. And then we have to be willing to take risks for the kingdom of God. All these scriptures we read at the beginning are all about taking risks for the kingdom of God. When Jesus says, where were you? Like, when you came and visited me in jail, like, that's a risk. All of kingdom living, though, is risk living. When we are not living with any risks, we are, not, we are not positioning ourselves to live in the adventure that God has called us to. So some of you, your spiritual life is like super boring right now. You like kind of want to give up because you're like, I'm kind of bored with this. I want to call you part, part of the way we live on adventure. Part of the way we say being a Christian is the most awesome is because we live with risk. We, we actually... The only way you live with risk, though, is if you'll live with generosity. You cannot live by faith and be stingy at the same time. It's an impossibility. To live with faith means that we have to step out and be generous in all parts of our life. So we're generous with forgiveness. When people run us over and backstab us, I know nobody has ever had that happen to them here. We've got to live with generosity in that way. This, this is what it means to live a generous life even when it's difficult. We take, be willing to take risks for the kingdom of God. And part of the reason, listen, part of the reason church is important is because we actually get to hold up um, and get behind people who are taking all kinds of risks for the kingdom of God. Uh, you might have heard us talk about kingdom partners before, and we have many people who are in both here in Calgary taking risks for the kingdom of God, but all over the world. Next week, you're going to hear from Jesse Mitchell, one of our kingdom partners who has gone to the far ends of the earth using his skills as a chef to, like, bring health to people. That's amazing. Like, I get to, like, know Jesse and hug him when he comes back, and it's a real encouragement to me to say, uh, like, wow, I, kn I know somebody who does that, and it encourages me. Jess, what are you doing? What, are you, what risk are you taking for the kingdom of God? Let me ask you this right now. What risk are you currently taking for the kingdom of God? doesn't need to be, I mean, you don't need to move. M maybe the risk is like, I I'm going to support somebody like Jesse, even though gas is like a very high. <laughs> maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm going to give, maybe it's just going to be, you're going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to risk, I'm going to begin to tithe and be obedient to God. Maybe for some of you, it means that when we give money to the pregnancy care center, you're going to say, I'm going to take a bit of a risk. It's not always financially, but wh what are you doing that is a risk? The reason why we have to talk about finances, because if our wallets are not discipled, our souls are not discipled. I will say that uh, if your wallet is not discipled, if your wallet's not obedient to the things of God, your spirit isn't either. I don't care how much Bible study you're doing. It means that you're not obedient to the words that Jesus has said. See how the soft music came on there? We planned that. I know that makes people uncomfortable. I know that. Listen, it makes me uncomfortable. <sighs> all week long, I knew I had to preach this message, and all week long, I'd sit at my desk like this. Because like, you, you know if you're a typer or a writer, it's like playing the piano, you get your hands ready. And nothing would come. 
I was like, no, partly because it's uncomfortable to talk about our finances. It is. I would much rather say, like, let your gifts be. But I would not be a good pastor if I told you, oh, just, like, give your talent, your money doesn't matter. Your money matters. Your money matters to God. God said, Jesus said that, where your heart is, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And you're part of this community. And I, I like, my prayer for this community, I, I've had a few people say to me, like, what's your vision after COVID for the church? My, my prayer, my vision, is that we would become the most generous, that we'd actually live out the words of Jesus, and people would look and say, whoa, like, I don't even know that I can, like, I can get on board with, like, everything they believe, but they're certainly generous. My son, Eli, has this new little friend, and he has lost his mom in the last year, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't know Jesus. He's Muslim, and he's a really great kid. He eats dinner with us just about every night of the week, and he's going to give me a curry lesson tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. You know, he, he was talking to Eli this week, and he said, well, like, I, Eli, I'm not, like, I'm not a Christian, but I'm really interested because, like, no one else has ever invited me over for dinner. No one else takes me around and brings me home. And I'm not saying we are not, I'm not telling you this. I'm just saying this has been easy for us, right? Most of generosity is easy. Get out of our own way. Get out of our own way. And ask the Lord to show up. Let you be generous with some. Listen, there is somebody in your sphere of influence right now that God has lined up for you to be generous toward. There is something in your, in, that, that the Lord is going to give you that you're going to have an opportunity to be generous with. And we have the opportunity to make these choices every day. Will I be generous or will I live with a stingy spirit? The really good thing is, is that we can trust our God. I, I, this is just sort of bonus, but don't limit what God can do through your life. Please don't limit what God can do through your life. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think like I messed up so much I can never be like like I've lost the opportunity to be the next Mother Teresa <laughs> God doesn't need you to be that he needs you to be who he's called you to be I was thinking though I, I ju- this story just kept coming to my head that our God is such a God of generosity that he does things that are what think about Jesus's first miracle if you've never read the Bible before, the very first miracle that Jesus did, he didn't heal somebody, he didn't open blind eyes, he, didn't, he went to a party, and he took water, and he turned it into wine. <laughs> Whoa. Like, for some of us, thinking about that, like, really breaks the parrot. Like, Jesus wasn't like, no, he was like, party God. <laughs> like, the person you want to invite to a party, Jesus. This is amazing, though, and talks to the character of our God, that he's above more than we could ever, he's not like a utilitarian God. He's a God that takes things like water and turns them into wine. But By the way, theologians think this, in this story, um, Mary says to the party planner, hey, listen, ask Jesus. Oh, you've ran out of wine? Ask Jesus. Most theologians think Jesus had done that before. Because how else would she have known to say, ask Jesus? I mean, you only tell someone to do something if you know they've done it before, right? This is what is amazing about our God. He is bigger than the constraints you've put around your life. 
Some of you have decided, well, I could never be that, and the best I can ever do if I could read my Bible once a year, or, I don't know, like learn to raise my hands like this. And our God is standing at the door saying, ha, I'm bigger than that. My generosity, this is the generosity of our God. This is the way that we should live our lives. Water into wine kind of a God. He's a God that like, just he's it's like that generous. He's that generous, like, who ca- I mean, who cares if the party ran out of wine? Who cares? All the Italians in the room were like, we care. But anyways, it didn't really matter. And God did it anyways. God wants to do something through your life that is more extravagant than you could ever ask for or imagine. He wants to take the life you have and make it count. Actually, make it count. Not just make it count for like when you die and you get a get out of hell free card. Your life now, abundant life now, abundant life now. And we do that by orienting ourselves to generosity because our God is a generous God. And all across the room, can you just stand to your feet this morning? So I, I want us to pray that we would become the generous community that God's asked us to become. But I don't want us to pray in generalities because that can get, you can like off put it to someone else. I want you to pray that God would help you to orient your life around generosity. Just, just would you just raise your hands just like this to me, with me today. So God, we're just praying that you would cause us t- to be generous, to orient our life around your, because you have been generous to us, God. We, we want to embody your generosity in every way, God, I pray that you'd place ideas in our heads right now, just even in this place, God's going to drop ideas into your head about how you can live a generous life. Just in this moment, I I just believe God's put somebody's face into your head, right? We believe in a God who speaks to us even today. Maybe somebody that you need to text or call or give a bag of groceries to or bring a coffee to. Some of you are being convicted right now because you haven't been, you haven't let the Holy Spirit disciple your wallet. You're waiting for if and when. Just wherever you are, would you just say yes to God? Whatever he says to you in this minute, would you just say yes, God? Yes, I'm saying yes to you. What's really cool is that God doesn't require anything of us. He just requires our yes. So yes, God, we say yes to you. And God, we pray that you would help us in every way to be generous on every occasion so that, God, the world would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.